Oh God, where do I start? This episode alone is the reason my family are forbidden from listening to my podcasts. It kind of feels like the awkwardness of when the family members of actors watch one of their films and there's like a really graphic sex scene or something. As an actor and aspiring filmmaker myself, I completely relate to that because if my family watched a film I'm in or play or a film I wrote or directed and there's like sex, drugs, and violence, I would quite frankly curl up and die. It would be awful. There would be secondhand embarrassment from both parties. I always go off on such a tangent, but it baffles me when the parents of actors who are like 13 let them play a child prostitute or something. I mean, someone's gotta do it. I'm 18 and my family full body cringe when I have to act in love with a co-actor. So there you go. Back to what I was saying, the reason I have banned my family from listening to these podcasts is because to them, I really don't reveal too much about what I'm feeling. I mean, I say what's on my mind, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm just too composed and cynical and apathetic and nonchalant. And Although they know very well how I love film and analyzing and saying what I think, I just know that it would be completely shocking to them that I'm opening up so much in these podcasts and talking about the most touchy stuff from the heart. Back on topic, just thinking about I mean, this isn't really like on topic, but I'm just thinking how the hell did the parents of the actresses who played the Lisbon sisters in this film let them do it? This film is so heavy, for lack of a better word. The dark nature of this film is contrasted and juxtaposed by a soft pastel and some golden and blonde tones in the color palette in typical Sofia Coppola fashion. I first watched this film when I was like 15 and I was not aware of how dark a film it would be. I saw some of the stills on Pinterest and I was like, wow, pretty color palette and visuals. It's set in the 70s and it looks like a coming of age film. Let's watch it. Yeah, not a great idea. When I watched it back then, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I found it deeply disturbing. The suicide aspect of it was way too much. I mean, it is literally in the title. I should have known what I signed up for. I think that although it is stated in the title, The Virgin Suicides, the reasons why the Lisbon sisters killed themselves is completely irrelevant. Before I get all analytical and explain why, I think I should explain the premise of the film first. The film follows the five Lisbon sisters with strictly pious Catholic parents. Other than this, there's really nothing more I need to explain, because I am hoping that you've seen the film already. Well, I sure as hell hope you've been doing that with all my other episodes, because I would be pretty concerned if 
you're listening to me talk about all the spoilers and deep analysis before you've actually seen the film. Also, one of the most important parts of the plot is that there's this group of boys in their neighborhood who are fascinated by the girls, and throughout the film they all end their lives in different ways, or, I mean, the girls, not the boys, and their stories and motives remain a mystery to the boys. Some of the main themes surfacing in the film are adolescence and loss of innocence. Lux, who is played by Kirsten Dunst, is the main Lisbon sister who appears to be the most central to the film and is the last to kill herself. And no matter how many rules or restrictions her overprotective parents put in place, she grows more and more rebellious and promiscuous. This further proves that the outcome of overt strictness is rebellion, and she seems to represent adolescent rebelliousness. However, these two themes of the film are really shallow and surface level, so they're not the ones that I will be unpacking here, so I will get there. Hold on. It is quite ironic because the title of the film is The Virgin Suicides, yet the film explores the idea of losing childlike innocence and becoming promiscuous. This ties back to what I said earlier about how there's a lot of contrasts. The soft, muted, almost dreamlike color palette setting us a pure mood. When I look at it, I just think it's like something out of a doll's house. But it's completely juxtaposing the obviously disturbing tone of the film. Alright, I've vaguely summed up the plot and the surface level themes, so now let's get analytical. I'm finally going to state why I think the reasons for the sisters killing themselves is the least relevant aspect of the film. I think that this film is a lot deeper than it just being about mental illness among adolescents. The interesting and disturbing part about it isn't the fact that all five of the sisters killed themselves. It actually is the way that they're viewed through the voyeuristic male gaze. In the last episode where I talked about The Great Gatsby, I did talk about voyeurism when it comes to people enjoying witnessing other people's distress. When I talk about voyeurism in this episode, it's also going to be in terms of watching the lives of others fall apart, but specifically, it's mainly going to be focusing on the male gaze and romanticization. And Sofia Coppola portrays this so well, and the male gaze, voyeurism, and romanticization are concepts that I'll talk about heaps in other episodes as well. But the thing that makes the following in this film different is that Coppola is aware of the male gaze. She knows the mental health deterioration of the sisters is being romanticized by the male characters. This is different because in other films where the male gaze is identified, the director isn't aware of the male gaze. That's how it became a thing in the first place. The term was coined by 
feminist film critics to describe how men depict women and presents them as an object for the typical heterosexual male viewer. The objective of developing this concept was to make it clear that the male-dominated film industry mainly caters to one demographic. And the demographic in question is... Okay, on the count of three, you've got to say what you think it is. One, two, three... What is the demographic in question? If you answered the typical straight white man, you're correct. Or, as my dad likes to call himself, male, pale, and stale. Is it making sense now? The male gaze serves the male, pale, and stale. Um, side note, I really hope you do not consider me a feminist film critic. Because I have a confession to make. I love films featuring the male gaze as much as I love criticizing it. I love it! (laughs) I much prefer old male directors to the new progressive female ones in general. And I, as an actress playing a character, I enjoy becoming objectified as long as it's just me playing the character because it's just film. Alright, before you start thinking I'm a misogynist, take it from my perspective as both an actress and writer. Fictionally, being an object of the male gaze is far more interesting to me than being an object of the female gaze, because for me, personally, the female gaze and this new wave of, um modern girl boss feminists, as I like to call them. Uh, It's just that it seems so patronizing to me because I do not need a female progressive feminist writer and director to write an empowering narrative in order for female film viewers to feel empowered and portrayed in a feminist way. I mean, come on. You'd expect this from me as someone whose favorite film is Blue Velvet and whose favorite directors are David Lynch and Brian De Palma. As I say this, I'm glad that I have a photo of myself as the cover of this podcast series because I fear if you guys didn't know what I look like, you'd be envisioning me as one of those housewives in those 1950s commercials where... They're, like, selling vacuum cleaners and dishwashing liquid and shit and advertising staying in the kitchen. Jesus Christ. I am going off on such a tangent. I apologize. This happens every time. Let's get back on topic. I'm sure you get what I mean when I say that The Virgin Suicides is very different to films that also have the male gaze, because with this one, it is deliberate. Coppola is clearly aware that the girls are depicted and objectified by the male gaze. She's doing it to prove a point here. It is intentional. The romanticization is deliberate. This is kind of like when I um, talked about David Lynch's Blue Velvet in the second episode of this series. I'm gonna try not to go down the David Lynch rabbit hole again, but I will because it's related. When I was talking about 
the male gaze in Blue Velvet, what I said was that even though Dorothy's character is um, hypersexualized and objectified as an object of the male gaze, it's intentional. It's meant to be like that, otherwise the story would not work. Yeah, it's misogynistic as fuck. Yeah, it is literally the definition of objectifying woman, but David Lynch didn't objectify her to be objectifying. He did it to prove a point. Okay, I'll stop talking about David Lynch. We are not analyzing Blue Velvet. Virgin Suicides, Virgin Suicides. We are here to talk about the Virgin Suicides, not Blue Velvet. Faith, stop talking about David Lynch. It's not about him in this episode. So, yeah, comparing the Virgin Suicides to that example, Sofia Coppola's um, directorial intention was not to actually objectify them to, like, please the average male viewer. It was to prove a point. Like David Lynch, God, I've got to get that man's name out of my mouth for the rest of this episode. This is not relating to him. Yeah, just like him. This makes Coppola a genius because she's subtly trying to tell us this is what it's like when women are dehumanized by voyeuristic men. Now on to romanticization. So the males in this film, that group of boys... The way that they view the um, the Lisbon sisters is, it's not as if they're real people, it's quite dehumanizing. They're so fixated on them and they view them as like these ethereal beings and as if they're so fascinating and they like, they fantasize about them and stuff. The thing is, as the mental states of the sisters are deteriorating, they're continuing to become more intrigued, and it's like, ooh, it makes them all alluring. So this ties into romanticization because they're obsessed with the idea of them. They don't see them as real people with real struggles. And that, my friends, is voyeurism in a nutshell. I will admit God, this is gonna make me sound like such a shitty person, but uh, I have a personal example that I think is gonna explain what I'm trying to say a lot more clear. Okay, yeah, I don't care if it's another personal example, but I'm gonna use it. I did this with a Great Gatsby. I'm gonna do it again. I do confess that Ah, oh God, this is gonna make me sound so horrible, but Sometimes when something happens to someone else, my initial reaction, instead of being all sympathetic, is to be curious. Like, I remember when I was, like, 11 or something, my brother was in hospital, and then I got the news from my dad, and then I was like, oh my god, dad, what happened? I'm so curious. <laughs> like, instead of being all like, oh no, poor him, I was like, I'm so curious, I want to know. So, yeah, I think that this is relevant to the boys in the film because with the Lisbon sisters, their mental health is going downhill, but instead of them having genuine sympathy, they're, they're just intrigued and fascinated by them. They're not like, not once did the idea of trying to help them cross their mind, they just, 
they were just intrigued. It was like they're a mystery to be solved or like some sort of fixation. Alright, kind of jumping back to what I was saying about the male gaze. God, I do not have a structure. I'm just all over the place. But yeah, I know I said earlier that I don't mind the male gaze portraying women in film, but the thing is, when I say I'm okay with the male gaze in film, I only mean that the only time that I will tolerate it is if it's just aesthetically. So if it's only focusing on a woman's appearance, I'm like, yeah, that's fine, that's cinema, whatever. But the time that I will not tolerate it is when the male gaze romanticizes and glamorizes mental illness among women. This isn't just something that happens in this film particularly. I've seen it everywhere. Like, in a lot of cases where a male director tries to portray a mentally ill woman, it's so hypersexualized. I've noticed a lot that mentally ill women in films directed by men, they're so hypersexualized. Like, it's the typical hot mess trope. So she's like wearing sexy clothes, she's still got her makeup on, but her eyeliner's all smudged in a sexy way, and her hair's all done, she's drinking out of a bottle of wine and smoking a cigarette, and it's all like, ooh, I'm such a hot mess, my life's falling apart, I'm on the verge of a mental breakdown, but at least I look sexy while doing it. In fact, I did talk about this in a very detailed letterbox review. So it was of The Queen's Gambit, so I'm going to read that right now. My only critique is, it's clear that this was written by a man because that is not what women with substance addictions on the verge of a breakdown look like. The male gaze in film should stay away from trying to portray women with mental illness because it always ends up becoming glamorized and sexualized. However, there are certain things male directors should be allowed to sexualize because, well, that's showbiz baby, and what's good cinema without a bit of sauciness? But addiction and mental illness is not it. Yeah. You get the picture. I think this sums up what I'm trying to say about the male gaze and mental illness in women. Also, if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, my username is I Love Dilfs. That's D as in dad, I as in eyed, L as in like to, and F as in <clears throat> fuck. I really do write some great reviews on there, so go follow me if you have it. Well, most of them range between either being like blank is a dilf or a really really long analysis of the film so there is no in between anyway back on topic so about the male gaze's romanticization of female mental illness uh i just think that because as i said before the group of boys in the film who are so intrigued by the lisbon sisters to them that kind of adds to their fantasies. They're like fantasizing about what happens to them. And as I said, it is so dehumanizing and they're glamorizing it. This is exactly what I mean when I say that I have no problem with the male gaze only when it's just them objectifying women just for their appearance. But it's when they try to make mental illness in women seem like it's something sexy. It's really 
invalidating. So that's why I think that the male gaze should stay away from portraying mental illness. It is way more dark and damaging than, oh, I'm such a hot miss. Even the quote-unquote hot miss trope, I just know that the term was made by the male gaze because the definition of it is a person, particularly a woman, who is so erratic and cannot get their shit together and their life's falling apart, but they still manage to look attractive while doing so. And I think that is something that Sofia Coppola portrays really well in this film because she portrays the Lisbon sisters as being all beautiful and dreamy when the reality is their lives are deteriorating, they're taking their lives, but to the boys who are being voyeuristic, it's fascinating to them and they're like, oh wow, they're so like troubled, but they maintain this beautiful facade. That reminds me, I know that I need to stop using personal examples to try and justify my points, but it seems to be working, so I'm going to do it. One of my friends called me a hot mess because I'm so all over the place and unstable and can't get my shit together. But I always, always maintain my appearance. I have to look good all the time, so that kind of balances out my the mess part of it. So I can like look hot while being a mess. So that was another personal anecdote. Um, now back to the virgin suicides. I'm gonna have to reiterate the um, deterioration of the Lisbon sisters' mental health, the fact that it um, intrigues the group of boys and makes them seem more fascinating and whimsical, that is definitely kind of explained by the quote-unquote hot mess trope because it's claiming that the fact that somebody can be a bit unstable while maintaining attractiveness is something desirable because it's it has like desirable connotations to the term which is also problematic within the context of the film and the male gaze because it's painting quite a romanticized picture of this idea and then it's it's telling you that if you can make anything dark romanticized it's attractive like romanticization of mental illness that's considered attractive and intriguing to them there is also some element of sexism within this because I find that the boys in the film, one of them said, so there's like a famous quote from the film and the book. He was talking about how, as he got to know the enigmas that are the Lisbon sisters, he discovered the quote unquote imprisonment of being a girl. Now, if you took this quote out of context, you'd think that the character who said this was like finally 
understanding their own struggles but the reality is it kind of seems a bit patronizing and mansplaining because they were glamorizing their suicides and their declining mental health in the first place so I don't think they genuinely understood their struggles because this whole time their um the way that they viewed the Lisbon sisters was it was kind of warped by the fact that they were so caught up in how intrigued they were because whenever I see this film described it describes the sisters as being the dreamy beautiful Lisbon sisters and that's all they saw them as so I quite I'm quite doubtful about the fact that they genuinely understood their mental illness Way before the novel of the Virgin Suicides was written, mental illness among women has always been disregarded. Even way before the male gaze was a thing, and even before male directors in the male-dominated industry started glamorizing it, and it's just always been something that's being taken quite lightly and not seen on a serious level, kind of like one of the main messages that this film is trying to portray. I did my research and it turns out that the mistreatment and disregard for female mental illness dates back quite a while, ever since the, the 18th century, I think. So there was a legitimate legal diagnosed disorder and it was called female hysteria. Not just hysteria, but female hysteria. So it says that the symptoms were anxiety, shortness of breath, fainting, nervousness, blah blah blah, yeah. And it was like quite an umbrella term to sort mentally ill woman under. So yeah, there's a little psychological history for you. I think it highlights how psychology and psychiatry back in those times were quite misogynistic. Even though the term female hysteria is extremely archaic and dated, it is still applicable to the virgin suicides because it highlights the idea of how female mental illness is mistreated and not seen as a problem. I was doing more research on this so-called female hysteria and of course the ones who diagnosed it and coined the term were males. Even though this term is outdated and, well, archaic and way before the male gaze was established. I think it's quite allegorical and it tells us everything we need to know because it shows us how in male-dominated patriarchal industries like the psychology industry and nowadays the film industry it shows us how the males who dominate 
these industries are depicting and viewing and disregarding women. Tying it back to the virgin suicides, it is very relevant because these guys are just fascinated by them and the way they view them, it's as if they only exist simply to be the subject of their voyeuristic fantasies. Like their group, the boys, um, they're all talking about how they want to have sex with, um, with Lux. She's like their prize to be won and it's so disgusting if you think about it because they act like she is their goal and they're all so desperate to claim her sexual favors and there's that scene where um i think it's after their prom the leader of that group of boys his name's like trip fontaine what kind of a name is that i'm sorry it's so sleazy so trip fontaine with the name that sounds like an italian cigarette brand he asks Lux to sleep with him on the football field and they do that and I think he ditches her so that shows that he doesn't genuinely care about her as a person he just is in love with the idea of her he doesn't desire her as a genuine real person he desires the idea and that's the same with the other Lisbon sisters that group of guys they're in love with the idea of them not them as people. They exist purely for their own fantasies and voyeurism. One of the most iconic scenes in this film is when Cecilia, the youngest Lisbon sister, is in hospital after slitting her wrists in the bathtub. The doctor says to her, Honey, what are you doing here? You're too young to know how bad life gets. To which she replies, Obviously, doctor, you've never been a 13-year-old girl. So we can see already that there is a male character in this film who's disregarding the girl's mental illness. Like what I was saying before about how the male gaze by male directors when they're writing scenes with mentally ill women. Their objective is to make mental illness and mentally ill women look sexy. To conclude today's episode, I hope that you learn a thing or two about voyeurism and how the male gaze portrays mental illness. I certainly learn a lot of things. And maybe I have female hysteria. Who knows? And that's a wrap. I'll catch you guys in the next episode where I will be talking about Mulholland Drive or something. I don't know. See, I'm quite a hot mess.